1: Kroger Fresh for Everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
0: This week's episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of an all-new version of their cloud accounting software to help the self-employed create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. Set up online payments with just a couple clicks and get paid up to 4 times faster. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial at freshbooks.com/sp and enter Smart People Podcast in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's FreshBooks.com SP
2: Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here, and thanks so much for tuning in. I have to say, you're in for a real treat today. And I was just so excited to bring everyone this episode because I had a chance in this episode to sit down and talk with my colleague and friend, Todd Davis. Todd is an expert in all things people related. We'll get into his bio here in a minute, but what we're really covering is this idea that the results we get at work and in life are incredibly dependent on our relationships. Because if you think about it, all of our results that we get, specifically in the workplace, are achieved with and through other people. We never do things in a silo anymore. We have to manage multiple teams, multiple people, deadlines, clients, customers, friends, loved ones. There's so many relationships and what Todd is talking about today is how to get better by improving those relationships. In fact, his brand new book is titled Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at Work. So let's talk a little bit more about Todd. I mentioned he's a colleague Todd has been with Franklin Covey for over 20 years and currently serves as the chief people officer and executive vice president. So he's responsible for global talent development in over 40 offices and 160 countries. And I know many of you know about Franklin Covey because, you know, I work for them, but they truly are a leader in consulting and workplace training. And for Todd to be at the helm of such a strong culture really speaks volumes for his ability to manage relationships. Todd has over 30 years of experience in human resources, talent development, executive recruiting, sales, and marketing. And as I mentioned, he is the author of the upcoming book, Get Better. So as you tune in today and listen to this interview, think about the relationships you have at work. Think about the results you're trying to get. Maybe you're a small business owner. Maybe you're a creator. And maybe you are a manager or a leader. Whatever it might be, consider the nature of your relationships. How would you like to strengthen them? And how would strengthening those relationships get you the results you want? So that's it for my intro. I want to get into this thing. I'm excited to bring it to you. We are Smart People Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at SmartPeoplePod and at SmartPeoplePodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. Leave us a review on iTunes and let us know what you think. Here it is, our episode with Todd Davis, as we talk about his brand new book, Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at Work. Enjoy. Todd, it is so great to have you on the show. My fellow colleague, how
1: are you? I'm great. It's a, a pleasure to be here and an honor. Thank you very much.
2: You know, I know how busy you've been, well, probably your whole life, but for the past couple of uh, months, just to know that I've gotten two hours on your calendar is is really an honor, I have to admit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're very kind. The honor is mine. Thanks for, thanks for having me.
2: Yeah. So, uh, of course, we're going to get into this brand new book you have out uh, called Get Better. But I want to talk about, and I want to let the listeners in on this idea of you know, of Franklin Covey and the culture that we have. They know that I do workshops for Franklin Covey. They've heard the years of kind of my background. Um, so it's going to be great to get it from somebody who sits at the table, if you will, such as yourself. And I want to start with this. The mission is to enable greatness in people and organizations everywhere. What I'm really interested in is what that means to you and why it's a mission that's kept you there for two decades.
1: Thanks for asking. Really, thanks for asking that because I could talk about that for the entire two hours. Right. I, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I've been here 21, it was 21 years last July. And I also want your listeners to know that I've had the opportunity of of uh, delivering some, some presentations right by the side of Chris Stemp and you are terrific. <laughs> so well, that. That, that's been a real pleasure for me. But to our mission statement, we enable greatness in people and organizations everywhere. As the, as the chief people officer, which is my title, I love our mission statement. I am, I am it's, it's galvanizing. It really brings us together. It's, I guess the word would be ennobling. And the reason we're all so passionate about it, and in particular I'm so passionate about it, is that I, I really, truly believe that greatness lies within everyone. Everyone has the possibility, and and most aspire to be great. And I don't mean great to grandstand, to pound my chest, and say how awesome I am. To be great in contributing, to do something, to be a part of something that matters, to add value to something. I had, well, I have the privilege often of, of interviewing finalist candidates for senior positions at our company, and we had a series of those yesterday with some folks. And but often people ask. You know, tell me about the culture. You've been here 21 years. Tell me about the culture at Franklin County. That's a pretty broad question, but my face lights up. I can feel it light up. I love when they ask me about that because are we perfect? No, but is the reason I'm here for 21 years? We have such long tenure with so many people here. It is, in fact, because of the culture, and culture can be, you know, defined in in a lot of different ways, but. It boils down to the behavior of our people, the type of people we work with. We work with people who aspire to greatness, who who um, certainly need to make a living and, and compensation, all that's important, but equally as important is what they do. That they're making a difference in the world of, of corporations, of the education market, of all the various areas that, that Franklin Covey works in.
2: I'm very honest and upfront on the show, have been for years. It's just in my DNA. And I'll tell you, you know, I never got burned by... Quote unquote corporate America. I mean, I've really had the pleasure of working for some great companies, but I've also had a bit of a a disassociation with, with it, right? I always felt like people go to work and there's someone different than who they are at home. And that bothers mm. me. Um mm-hmm. and and there was a different feeling for me uh in working with people at Franklin Covey, but I'm wondering, given all of your experience working with people, the relationships you've built and being an executive at a publicly traded company, how do you think people can build cultures where you can be yourself and you can feel safe being yourself?
1: Wow, that's a that's a great question. And what I immediately think of, as many know, and maybe some don't know, one of the co-founders of Franklin Covey is the late Dr. Stephen R. Covey and, uh, you know, the the Bestselling author of Seven Happens of Highly Effective People uh, along with many other books. And his entire philosophy around everything he taught and everything he created was around a whole person paradigm. Exactly what you're talking about, Chris. That that we, we need to address and be and be mindful of the wholeness of everyone. We're not, well, to your point, some people are, but but in reality, we're not a different person. That, that shows up at work, and then when they walk out the door and go home to their, their loved ones or their friend or whoever, um, separate. So it's it's addressing the whole person. Um, I I I believe. Well, I don't just believe this. One of the one of the the great benefits and, and the attractiveness of people coming to Franklin Covey to to work with us is total absorption in our content. You know, whether you're actually one of our consultants like yourself who's out delivering it and teaching it, whether you're one of our client partners who's out, uh, you know, securing new clients, whether you're in accounts receivable, whether you're in payroll, whatever, you're surrounded by this these timeless principles of content, which which are all about the whole person, uh, about, you know, the, the four great human needs of living, loving, learning, and leaving a legacy. Um, and so uh, – I feel like I'm talking around your question, but I, I, it's just what we espouse here. I think it would be more difficult in other companies. In fact, it was more difficult in other companies that I've, that I've worked with or worked for, but but I think we, we are our best self when we are who we are all the time. In fact, there's a, there's a great quote uh, that says something like, let, let the world know you as you are, not as you think you should be, mm. because sooner or later, if you're posing you'll forget the pose. And then where are you? <laughs> ah, <laughs> and I, I love, love that. that. I love that quote. Now I'll, you'll laugh when I tell you who it's, oh, who no. it's by. And, and most of your listeners, because I'm old and they're not, won't even know who this person, but there's a, a famous actress by the name of Fanny Bryce. Um, mm-hmm. there was a, a, a musical on Broadway many, many years ago that, um, uh, Barbara Streisand won her first Academy Award in portraying Fanny Bryce, called Funny Girl, and that was a quote by this this actress, Fanny Bryce. So forget that it was an actress because sometimes we don't, you know, get <laughs> yeah. much validity to their quotes. But I thought, what a, what a great what a great thought, you know? Let the world know as you are because if you're posing, you can't keep that pose up forever. Put yourself in
2: the shoes of somebody who's maybe a, a entrepreneur or they're running or or high up in a startup or even their family. Um, they want to create. This idea, and given you have experience building cultures, how does somebody instill this idea of a whole person paradigm in an environment sometimes that leads us to not want to bring our whole self?
1: Yeah, great question. Well, I, I think from a, you know one of the areas that I oversee at Franklin Covey is our recruiting and our, our 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 search for continuous search for talent, and 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 not only to find it but to keep it here. And one of the things that I talk to our recruitment department all the time, and I in previous year she, you know, did a ton of recruiting, was find out what's important to people. We, we wanna find the talent, and we're really good at telling them what's important to us, what we need them to come and do, and yes, they've got this, this skill set that seems to be a match, and so let us tell you how you can really succeed here. That's all important, but we spend more than, I hope, I do anyway, spend more than half the time in the quote-unquote interview, finding out what's important to them. What, what are they looking for in not just the job but in a career, in their life? And, and you know, w- as much as you can without, without moving into quote-unquote illegal questions or, or exploring too much of their personal life, find out what's important to them in their personal life, mm-hmm. in their whole person, if you will. And when we 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 make sure that our candidates and, and the talent that we're talking to knows that, hey, we're we're making a decision, you're one of many candidates, but we respect and honor and realize you are making a decision too. And and you're so talented that we suspect we're one of many choices you're going to make too. And we, we really try and instill with a lot of humility. Um, a sense of, look, this is that we have very long tenure here. Do we lose people? Do people quit? Do we let some people go? Yes, but but much lower numbers than than what's the norm out there. And it's because we take a long time, not just for time's sake, but we take a long time to ensure that we're super passionate and feeling like this is a perfect match and that they are feeling that way too. And I think because we really focus on that, which might be a little unusual for some companies, really making sure that they – Want to be here? I think that helps us to increase the odds of this being a long-term match because they, they sense that we're interested in, in filling the position with a talented person, but we're also interested in them as a person and their success and their happiness here at work and also in their in their personal life.
2: You know, as you mentioned, you you've done a lot of interviewing, and I think that's a, a skill that a lot of people want to be better at, and it's it's a critical part of success. So what I want to ask is what in your mind qualifies someone to be a senior leader? Like, what do you honestly look for? And assuming that since we just covered some, assuming that, you know, you find some match in mission and, and so getting into perhaps the more tactical or, or practical, what are you trying to evaluate to see if this person is going to be successful in in what they do and what they bring to the table.
1: Yeah, another great question. You must have done this before. You're really good at this. <laughs> couple <Chris>. times, couple <laughs> times. So you know, it, obviously, it varies with the role we're looking for. But I'll tell you um, one specific question that I ask, and it's just top of mind because, like I said, I, I interviewed some final candidates yesterday for some pretty key positions, and two of them said, "Wow, I have never been asked that before." And I thought, wow. "Well, good. That means we're into something." Hmm. And the question is this. So, so so, certainly we've done an evaluation of their background, their skills, um, uh, the, the, the track record for success they've had in, in whatever given area that we're talking to them about. But the ability to receive and do something with feedback is critical. And it's something that I've seen a lot of companies and, and, and talent scouts and, and recruiters miss. Um, we've, we've learned this In in a tough way sometimes, not anymore, but we've hired super talented person and they come on board and they're a good person. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying they're a bad person, Mm -hmm. but they are incapable of... Adapting or changing, mm. you know, they're so accomplished. We find somebody who's so accomplished in their career that they, not from an arrogant standpoint, but they're just so set in their ways that they're. And it's that's a critical competency. I don't care what company you're in. That is, you know, it's the, it's 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 the one constant, and that is change is happening all the time. So we're adapting, recreating ourselves, recreating roles, doing things differently, very often. And and if we don't have people along with all of their other great skill sets. That, that have this ability to not be, not be wishy-washy, but to be able to adapt and change and, and receive feedback and change with that feedback, we're, we're in trouble. And so it's a, it's a big area of focus. So what I ask specifically candidates is I'll say, tell me about a time, and it might've been this past year and it might've been 10 years ago in your career, but sometime when you got feedback from someone, maybe it was your boss, maybe it was a coworker, maybe it was just a friend, you got feedback and it kind of stung. You were maybe offended or defensive and but after you got over that defensiveness and and the candidates are always looking at me like, Okay, where are you going with this? But I say (laughs) after you got over this defensiveness, you thought to yourself, you know what? she makes a really good point, or okay, while I see it differently, I'm gonna try what he suggested. And you actually implemented whatever it was they told you you weren't doing so well or you could do better, and it made a difference, and in fact, it's something that you remember to this day because it actually improved and changed your your track record for success. And and I've tried to figure out a way to shorten that, and and I haven't, but but it it is, (laughs) I'm not saying this with any ego, it is a great question. (laughs) It is because a you, great learn, you learn, You thank you. I'm going to copyright it. You <laughs> learn so much from that question. I will have people who, good people, all good people, but who will say, gosh, I, I know I have some, I just really can't think of any. That tells me a lot right there. Mm. Okay, so you probably, maybe you get feedback a lot, you don't even hear it. Or, you know, if somebody really struggles to think of something, they're a good person, but that, that concerns me. Mm. On the other hand, somebody will say, oh, yeah, I have something at least once a week. Well, then I'm concerned about that. Right, too. right. <laughs> you know, but people will say, oh, I've got several examples. Let me think about that for a minute. Well, here's one. And then they'll give me an example. Now, if it's an example of, well, I'm, just, I'm told I, I work too hard – that I sometimes don't have enough life oh, yeah. balance. They've read that out of uh, how to answer the question <laughs> of, you know, what could you improve? And so I said, okay, that's nice, because we sure wouldn't want somebody here that works too hard. I will joke with them and tell them. That. I said, tell me about some feedback, something you were doing. A st- and, and when people are real... Mm-hmm. And I will, I'll get, I'll share with them some of mine, so that they feel like, okay, I don't have to be perfect in front of you. Right. And but when people are real, and they can come up with two, three examples, even one example, and they talk about, oh, I was, I was a know-it-all. I went into this sales job, and I went out a sales call with my manager, and I just went in and told everybody what to do and everything else, and then my manager told me, you, you got to take a step back and humble yourself. Here's the problem. And it was a big slap in the face, and I was so glad he or she did that. Th- those are the kind of people we're looking for, not not just because they were shot down or humble, but because it tells me they are open and will continue to be open to to feedback.
2: Actually, the question, the reason it hit home for me is because I will say, if you want to learn how to take feedback or at least be subjected to it, come work for Franklin Covey. And I say that <laughs> I say that in the sense like maybe it's I only have one one view, right? But when you stand mm-hmm. up in front of ten, twenty, a hundred people uh, multiple times a week. And then get surveys and feedback and I mean, it it definitely took me by surprise. It was something I was not necessarily prepared for. I can think of two moments instantly that you are referring to. But Mm -hmm. man, both times that person was in the right. And it was my ego that jumps up and says, no, 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 you don't understand. And so I—that's I, why I have such affinity for that question. I just chuckle inside. Um, well,
1: I'm so—I'm so glad you asked that. And just one thing. And again, I'm not here trying to plug Franklin Covey, although I have been here 21 years, and <laughs> uh, and I'm never going to leave. But but what you just cited—it's because it's done with the right intent. Yes. Again, back to the intent is we believe, and we're we're we've got as many problems, and 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 you know areas for improvement, every one of us does as, as the next person, but we believe that really greatness lies within everyone. So when feedback is given, like you're talking about, like I've been given all the time, I, I don't doubt that it's anything but with the intent to help me do better, to be better. And, and when, you, when, you are, when you're sure of someone's intent or when you feel comfortable, trust that intent, it, it takes on a whole different meaning and it really allows us to continually be improving.
2: Absolutely. And actually that is, I'm going to just go ahead and give the listeners something because they love these takeaways. One of the, the best things that I've learned and I, I kind of talk about now is this idea of stating your intent up front. I was just doing yeah. a project management course yesterday and we talk about having the, the difficult conversations. And I, I joke with people, I say, you can use this at work and I use it with my wife because we're going to miscommunicate. But if I say my intent then at least we can both start off there. And actually, the first time I heard this idea of people judge you on your actions, but you judge yourself on your intent was Mm -hmm. at a culture (laughs) event with you. It's really funny, Mm -hmm. actually. And so that's something that if you're listening to this podcast, take it away right now. State your intent up front in any difficult conversation, and you're going to start much further ahead of the person that assumes we know each other's intent.
0: Great point. That's my take Glad you brought that up.
2: But um, all right. So here's the thing, right? We've been talking a lot, you know, about Franklin Covey and different things because the reason we're both passionate about it is this whole podcast was built on getting better. It's built on utilizing knowledge to further yourself however you want. And so that's why I think the new book you just wrote is, is called Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at Work. And I think it summarizes things so well because one of the things that I've noticed is core in Franklin Covey is it's not just about giving information. It's about providing practices. And so I'd like to hear from you why the company and your book has such a heavy emphasis on practices instead of information and rules and laws and, you know, Dr. Covey's research. Why practices?
1: Well, yeah. Thanks for for letting me talk about this book, which we're certainly excited about and proud of. First of all, there was a there was a contest to see if you could create a book with the longest title yes. ever yeah. known. Yeah. Yeah. So, good one. <laughs> so get better. Fifteen <laughs> proven practices build effective effective relationships at work. Uh, no, I'm I'm joking. We yeah. Love the title. But but why practices? Because. These, this book is based on, as all of our content is based on timeless principles. And I've been in a unique position as the, as the chief people officer to utilize and see utilized these, these principles. And it's, it's overwhelming. The principles and the, and the, and the, uh, paradigms, the tools, they're overwhelming. So we can go to a seminar or we can read a book or we can hear someone, you know, Chris Stemp speak about all of these. And wow, this is incredible what a great story, or what a great example, or what a great metaphor, what do I do? How would I even begin to incorporate this? And so the reason we specifically chose the word practices and why we implement practices in everything we do is, let's not just give great, meaningful information. Let's help people start. Let's say you are here, here's what you do next. And some of it can be, can feel overly simple, and yet I have experienced in the keynotes I'm out doing on this and in what I've done for the last 21 years, when 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 it looks like a duh, and then I'll put you know, duh as in, yeah, that's obvious. And then when I'll ask somebody, so when was the last time you did this? Well, yeah, I really do need to start doing that. So mm-hmm. we we really do simplify it, not because people are dumb, people are brilliant, people are smart, but it's it's so obvious and simple that we are going to get to it tomorrow. We're going to get to it next week, and all of a sudden, our life's gone by, and we have never started doing those things. So, so that's we 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 break it down not not into dummy language, but just into step by step ingredients. Just like if you're like me, and you have to read every word of the back of the cake box if you're going to make a cake. <laughs> we we want a formula for people so they know where to start and how to how to start implementing this or that particular practice into their lives.
2: Absolutely. It's funny, as you talk through that, I think about that phrase that we hear, we say, right? Common knowledge is not always common practice. And even that phrase, people are like, yeah, I've heard that. Okay, but pause for a second. Where are you living that way in your life? And that's what things like this book and the practices and the cards help move those along. So one of the things is, why is change so difficult? Why is creating these new habits so difficult?
1: Because it's disruption <laughs> where my wife and I, uh, on, a, on a, a family situation, we we're just talking about this last night. It's, it's disruption, disruption. And as human beings, while we can see the need to change, while we see the desired results that we want. And again, it, it sounds silly to even say it, but, but that means I've got to do something differently. And I've, uh, I've, you know, as, as I, what weight is is something that everybody can relate to. Whether you're super skinny or whether you're a little bit overweight or whether you're really overweight, it's something that we can all at least relate to. And so when I, I uh, say, gosh, I, I really need to drop 10 pounds. I really want to work on that. But, but wait a minute. That means I can't do my usual drive-by McDonald's and get my diet coke and my bacon egg and cheese biscuit in the morning (laughs) and Mm -hmm. i think well of course you got to drop that todd and i think okay i'm going to drop that and then i head off to work and i think ah but i've done this for the last you know two years how can i how can i i pass that up so we're creatures of habit which is good and bad you know the habits instilled in us but 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 we we can also create the new habit or the new behavior and it's it's just this is not you know this this doesn't warrant being on your smart people caught podcast because this is like you said common knowledge but until the 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 true desire to have a different outcome mm. in a relationship or in something in my personal life, which also has relationships, to, to, you know, until the desire is greater than whatever the draw is for me to continue doing the things the way I've been doing, we, we're we're not going to change. Yet you think about how hard it is to change any one of your, your, your personal habits you've wanted to change. How, how much harder is it to try and change somebody else? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, it's <laughs> mo- monumental. So, so w- once we can at least make headway on or start getting good at, at uh, changing our own behaviors, then we're in a position to maybe influence. I don't think we ever change anybody else. They have to change themselves, but we start to influence others.
2: We've talked about this willingness to change, the, the want to get better. Uh, you wrote the book on getting better, right? And then you are the chief people officer, therefore kind of establishing the culture and dealing with the people at a global organization that does this. How hard is it for you to be in that spotlight? Do you ever feel like it's difficult to continually practice what you preach? I mean, I feel like I would love to have asked Dr. Covey the same question.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> right. Well, somebody did and he said and he said, you know, I will I've I've never attain perfection in any of the seven habits. It's an ongoing process, but that's, you know, that's where all the the reward is, is in the process. It, it's a great question you ask. I was, I've, I've told this story before, but it just sticks out in my mind. I was interviewing uh, someone several years ago who was joining us, and we had made this person the offer, and they were super excited, and they're here today and doing a wonderful job. But I asked, and I'll, I'll make up the name and call her Tara, and I said, Tara, what are, you, what are you so excited about being here? What's the number one reason why you're so excited about being here? And she said, in all seriousness, I read The Seven Habits, you know, 10 years ago or whatever her answer was, and to think that I'm coming to work for a company where everyone is living The Seven Habits. <laughs> and and I, started, I started to laugh, and she looked at me, and I said, Tara. When you find that company, would you let me know because I want to go work there too <laughs> and oh. then we both laughed and she said, "You know what I mean, and I do know what she means sure. it's it's the intent of people here, so every one of us stumbles and, and falls and i and I view my my role as chief people officer as more or less the you know we, we're all the cult we all create the culture, but I view myself as kind of the, the this role as kind of the quarterback for the culture and and so yes, I feel like. Man, Todd, you got to you got to focus every day on walking the talk. Not because, not not because you you want everybody to be impressed with you, but because you really believe this and you want to model it. And the strongest way to have influence is to model it. And I try that, and I fall down every day, Chris. In fact, two well, you know, three days ago now, I left a meeting. <clears throat> for those who aren't familiar, for those of your listeners who aren't familiar with Seven Habits, Habit One is be proactive, and the whole philosophy behind it is. We're a product of our choices, not our circumstances. You know, we have a choice. And and one of the opposites of being proactive is to be a victim. And, you know, victim language of, well, this didn't happen because the marketing department dropped the ball on this or so-and-so didn't follow through on this. While all those things may be true, victim language sticks out like a sore thumb around here. And and we all do it. So I left this meeting three days ago. I walked out the door and I thought to myself, well, Todd, that was some great victim language you just used in that meeting for the last three minutes. <laughs> and I turned around and I walked back in the meeting and I said, I'd like a do-over. <laughs> I just realized <laughs> in my last comment, I was totally being the victim here. Here's what I'm going to do about whatever the thing we were talking about was. And I, I went through and, and caught myself. And so it's not that any one of us are perfect, far from it, but it's just that the, the, the bar is there on the wall, raising the bar. You know, the bar is there on the wall. What we're trying to do is always in front of us and we're, we're continually recalibrating to that every day. And like you said earlier, not in a not in a, a, a mean way, but in an attempt to help everyone get better, we have the intent of, of reminding everyone of that so that we can all continually be improving. But I don't think anybody, I know no one ever arrives, uh, but it's in this journey that that makes our culture what it is and can make anybody's culture. What they
0: want it to be. And now, a quick word from this week's sponsor Racing against the clock to wrap up projects, prepping for meetings later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. Welcome to Life as a Freelancer. FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of an all new version of their cloud accounting software to help the self employed. It's redesigned from the ground up and custom built for the way you work. Get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and get paid quickly. With FreshBooks, you can create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. Set up online payments with just a couple of clicks and get paid up to four times faster. See when your client has seen your invoice and put an end to guessing games. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial at freshbooks.com SP and enter Smart People Podcast in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Once again, that's freshbooks.com slash SP and enter smart people podcast. And now back to the episode. Absolutely. And, you know, in terms of creating that culture and creating this
2: change, I want to get back to these 15 proven practices, you know, in the title and in the whole theory going on here, it's about relationships. And specifically, we highlight relationships at work. So kind of two questions in one here, which is bad interview etiquette, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, is, is why, what is it about our relationships that are the things that need to get better? You know, wh- why is this the area of focus? Why isn't it, uh, get better at executing, get better at being productive or innovate or whatever. And then why
1: the focus at work? If Franklin Covey, and this isn't a promo for Franklin Covey, but I'm going to get to your, your question. If Franklin Covey is about anything, it's about helping organizations be successful, and we believe—and don't just believe—we have found, time and time again, working with thousands of organizations throughout the world, that while it's our tagline, it's our—it's our—it's our knowledge too that your culture is in fact your ultimate competitive advantage. Uh, that all those other things you mentioned—why not get better at executing? Why not get better at hitting the goals? Those things, those are all important, and. At the foundation of those is a what we call a winning culture. When you have a winning culture, you still have to have all these other things, but it drives all those other things. I did an interview yesterday, and we were talking about the tie between employee engagement and productivity, and which which does which for the you know which one comes first. And it it is absolutely the level of engagement that your employees have drives the productivity in an organization, drives the ability to execute on the goals, drives every thing else that's important, drives the revenue that a public company has to bring in, all of those things. So, so that culture is critical. And culture is a lot of things. It, you can define it a lot of ways. It, it, starts, it certainly does start with the mission and the values and the vision posted on the wall. But it's the, the spoken and more often than not, the, the unspoken norms and values and systems of an organization. It's, it, it, it ultimately boils down to the nature of the relationships between people. It's the collective behavior of people. We were talking about behavior a few minutes ago. And culture, in the end, you might say it a little bit differently, but, but, but our, 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 our definition is the collective behavior of your people absolutely is the culture. I don't think anybody would argue with that. And that collective behavior is driven by the nature of the relationships between people. So if you can, yourself, and if you can help others become masters at their relationships, the types of relationships they have, not manipulative, not in a manipulative sense, but in a sincere relationship-driven company, you will have, you will attain this winning culture, which again, drives everything else. So that's why I'm so passionate about this. And it's the the important focus on relationships.
2: And such a great summation. So I want to then ask this, which is something, you know, I did ask, I asked myself when I came to Franklin Covey, I thought, look, this is great. I believe in all this. But again, it has this work focus. You know, we're going into companies. Why, Why do we have to be going into companies? Why can't we be just telling people, you know, I have such a passion on helping people do what they want, be who they want. So I have my own thoughts here, but that's not what's important. I'd love to know, you know, your thoughts on why the focus on work, why we're primarily working with organizations.
1: Well, it is a great question. And, our, and I talk about this in the book. It's not in the title. You know, the title, of course, is 15 Proven Practices Build Effective Relationships at Work. If if you know we would have won the award for the long title if we could have said <laughs> relationships at work and at home or in your personal lives, <laughs> but that, that didn't fit on the cover. But that is really the intent, Chris. So thank you for asking that. I mean, it's it's no no secret, at least stated at Franklin Covey and most organizations I'm familiar with, that we spend more of our waking hours at work than we do at home, and that that can, at least in this country and that can seem, you know, a bit odd, but nevertheless it is it is today's reality. And so if I as I focus on and improve and learn how to develop effective relationships in the majority of my waking hours, it's absolutely throughout my entire whole person life. It absolutely carries over into my personal life. Every one, every one of these 15 practices, every one of the seven habits, every one of the four disciplines, have you noticed we're kind of big on numbers here at Franklin Yes, County? I have, yes. Okay. <laughs> but, but every one of these 15 practices which we're talking about specifically are, are, are relevant Equally as relevant to, to, to any relationship in your life, whether it be at work or or in your personal life.
2: Now I can just imagine people hearing this. All right, guys, you got me primed. I want to know, you know, how do I get better and how do I actually take action on it? So I have a a question here, and I want to ask you because we can't go through all 15. It would take the entire show. What? Yeah, exactly. What? Exactly. they will have, <laughs> okay. have to buy the book, right? Um <laughs> But you know, I do want to know your top three. But I I even wanna know if you could sum them all up or perhaps pick one. You know, if somebody were to say, I want to get better at my relationships in general, okay? I wanna be more Mm -hmm. effective in my relationships. We'll talk about the practices, but is there an underlying theme you found in all this time of working on our content, being in organizations, helping build cultures, all that, that sums up your experience of how to be better in relationships?
1: Well, that is a loaded. I know. Question. I know. That's <laughs> why it's, it's a tough one. I
2: mean, maybe there's no answer.
1: Yeah. Well, let me let me no. Let me let me tell you what the thought that immediately comes to mind. Our certainly in the Get Better book, but in everything we do, I say we believe, but I also want to, to back that up with we have found that our paradigms, the way we see things, drives everything else. Drives everything else. The way I see the potential in individual. The way I see the opportunities that I have, or that were passed over, the way that I see, you know, some important behavior of someone, and that I that I contemplate, I wonder what would have made them say those things or do those things. The way that I see things drives everything else. So, so practice number one. The, there are 15 practices. It's a lot, and we're not saying, okay, you got to go through these one through 15 and do this in this order and everything else. You can pick up this book, and you can start anywhere. Except for practice, I would read practice one first and then go to any of the 15 practices that catch your eye or think, "Ah, oh, that's something that I've wondered about. I could use more help. But practice one is called wear glasses that work. And it's this entire um, philosophy of do we have the correct paradigm? You know, are you seeing people and situations accurately? H- have you ever discovered that your version of, we'll call it the truth, <laughs> wasn't so true or complete after all. That's happened to me many times. We make assumptions. We we go based on what knowledge or experience we do have. And while that's somewhat valuable, it's it's less than helpful if we decide. Well, that's true for everybody. Everybody sees things differently. We've all had a, a different journey to be on. In fact, I was just talking to someone yesterday who lost a loved one, and and I, I in the discussion I said, you know, I, I always worry when someone says, "I know how you feel," because. None of us know how anybody else feels. If you've lost your father and I've lost my father, we both know, we both lost a father, but we probably had very different or somewhat different experiences with our father. So no one knows how somebody else feels. And I think that's really important to remember when we're thinking about wear glasses that work. When I was in the second grade, I got my first pair of actual glasses. And you might laugh at this, Mm. but I remember... Putting them on and seeing leaves up on the trees for the very first time. <laughs> You're wondering what kind of parents do I have that didn't. But back then we didn't have the, you know, the routine eye test started in preschool like we have now. And and while I knew there were leaves, when I look at the trees, I would see kind of this green blob, and I just thought that's what everyone saw. It didn't bug me. I was a little second grader. I put on these glasses and, and I finally saw things that were accurate and how they really were. And I used that example not to be cute but to but to say that's the philosophy of stepping back and thinking wait a minute this is my version of the truth but i don't know if this is everyone's version of the truth mm. and so back to your earlier question about you know why the the actual practices in this particular practice we talk about the 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 activity of, of thinking about a situation, a relationship, or, or a, a pro, uh, something in your life, that's not a circumstance that's not going as well as you'd like it to. And take a few minutes and write down all of the things, all of the elements of this particular situation or this particular bad relationship. And then go through and circle each of the items that you and anyone you asked about would agree with. Because those are, in essence, facts. And I'll tell you... Very seldom do you find many of those things you can circle because when you start thinking, well, I don't know if everybody would see it this way. So it it sounds simple, but it helps people take a step back and say, gosh, I have some pretty strong held opinions on this, but they're not facts. They're my opinions. And they might be right, but they might be wrong. And it all of a sudden opens up this world to maybe, maybe considering a different paradigm on that situation. So sorry to be so long-winded, but that is kind of a foundational practice. That's why it's practice number one to all of the other practices in building effective relationships.
2: The idea of paradigms to me was so powerful when I kind of first encountered it. And so I can attest to it. And I can also attest to, I had LASIK uh, in my early 20s. And I just remember... This is crazy for anybody who's had LASIK. You you have bad vision. You go in. They cut your eyeballs, right? You put on these these things where you can't see, and you, you take a nap, and you wake up, and you can see perfectly. I mean, it is like, that is neither here nor there, but literally, whenever you're feeling down, think about those things, right? Yeah. Hey, or go get LASIK. Yeah, go get LASIK, and somebody just cuts your eyeball, and you can see. It's crazy. Anyways... Um, But so that was a great introduction to the practices. And what makes them so powerful is this idea. Okay, here's what you do. Write down the thoughts, circle the ones that everyone would agree agree with, identify the ones that they wouldn't, and see where you're looking at things.
1: That's simple, but but powerful. That's a practice. And then, again, because the list is long of things that you didn't circle, at least in my experience, Mm -hmm. so choose one of those. Mm -hmm. Choose one of those and really push yourself to say, would this be worth reconsidering? And maybe I should either go talk, you know, it varies with the situation, but maybe I should go talk to this person about this or talk to others about this. And again, it all has to do with being open to perhaps changing your paradigm. Right. And and it's a fine line between being wishy-washy and just being, you know, okay, well, I'll go whichever way the wind blows. It's not saying that. It's just being open to not being so stuck in your version of the truth. Mm -hmm.
2: Man, it reminds me of, I don't know, I... You know i'm gonna I'm gonna tell this story real quick because that's what we do, right? okay um and Good. you might find it interesting too. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast, actually, it's called the daily, and it's it's really fantastic and it was highlighting this fairly recent phenomenon that had happened a few times at mosques and it was talking about how mosques were being vandalized, and mm-hmm. this was one where this mosque was vandalized, and um they caught the 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 kids essentially who did it, just spray paint and all that so this this Muslim man was talking about how he was on the phone with a friend who was a Christian. And the the person said, Wow, I, I can't believe that this happened to you. These people must not have been Christians. Right. And the Muslim man said, Believe me, I know exactly how you feel. Every time I see an ISIS bombing, I think these people must not be Muslims. Great story. I mean just in that you want to talk about changing paradigms, putting yourself in other people's Mm -hmm. shoes. You know, you might look at Mm -hmm. it and say, I mean, religion is one that you just really are going to get people heated. And we sometimes stay away from it on the show. But my point is, you can just imagine those two people in that conversation in an instant, their paradigm shifted.
1: Yeah, that's great. A Great. Story that I want to borrow from. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> that's literally awesome. on the way home. Yeah. I was
2: listening to it. It's it was on the daily, which is a favorite podcast of mine. But mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we've got this idea of paradigms. We now understand a little bit more about what practices are, and so this is why I love you know what you wrote and what you do because they're actionable. So if you would share with us two more actionable things, kind of this teaser that people could do to get better.
1: Well, I'll I'll let you know. When you asked a minute ago, what are your top three practices? I thought, well, I don't have three, but I do have fifteen. <laughs> you you so, don't get fifteen. <laughs> okay, but I like you said, we can't go through all fifteen, and so really, really, every one of them, and and, and some people. Again, nobody's ever perfect at any of these, at least that I've met. Certainly not me. But but some are more relevant to different people, and others are more relevant to other people based on their experience. And people are better at some than others. So so it's really not like okay, I got to do all fifteen of these. No, pick the ones that you're really struggling with. Um, I just talked about practice one, wear glasses that work. The last practice of the book, practice fifteen, ironically is titled "Start with Humility," and I specifically wanted that to be last because it's it's not only is it a nice bookend, you know, to, to seeing things differently, but whether you're a leader, whether this is in your personal life, your professional life, humility is, is critical to wanting to get better. Because if I don't have any humility, if I don't have humility, I'm never even going to pick up a book that says get better. If I pick it up, I'm going to pick it up to give to somebody who I want to tell them you need to get better. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, but so you start with humility and the greatest leaders of all time. You think of, we don't have time to debate who are great leaders, but the greatest leaders of all time that I think we would all agree on had this, this element, this foundation of humility, this this ability to know or this understanding that they didn't have all the answers. Certainly they were smart. Certainly they had to have a vision. Certainly had to have credibility, but never losing that humility. So the whole notion of you know, like Dr. Covey said, I'll, I'll, I've never been perfect in any of the seven habits, and here he was the author of the book. That, that level of humility is what's critical in, in, in getting better. So that's, that's uh, again, of all, uh, of my, all 15 are my favorite practices, but that one is one I just wanted to mention. Another, pr- another specific practice I wanted to or would be good to talk about maybe is practice number 13 called Make It Safe to Tell the Truth. What we mean by that, what I mean by that, is make it safe for others to tell you the truth. And there are specific ways of doing that. In fact, you already talked about one of them, and that is making sure people know your intent. You know, Chris, I want to I share something with you, and I want – this would be a, a hypothetical conversation you and I would have. But I want to share something with you, and I want you to know my only intent in sharing this with you is I think you're wildly talented – and like all of us, we're on this journey of getting better. I want to share something that I noticed that I think you're unaware of, but I think would really help you to be even better than you already are. That is my only intent. Now, say that however you want. That's how I would say it, because that's from the heart. And then I would share some feedback. That's that's a way of giving feedback, that's a practice. Now, do you make it safe for others to to tell you that truth? If I'm a, well, let's just say if I'm a leader and I just finished a big meeting with the team that I lead, I decide their compensation, I decide their career trajectory, everything else. I finish this big meeting, and then I go into your office, you're one of my team that reports to me, and I say, hey, Chris, what did you think of the meeting I just led? Well, what are you going to say? Of course, you're, if you're smart, you're going to say, mm-hmm. well, Todd, that was really great, you're an awesome leader, and I kissed the ground you walk right. on, you know? That, 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 so now, an example or a practice of making it safe to tell the truth As we suggest, as I suggest in the book, is for, in this hypothetical example, for Todd to go to Chris two days before the meeting and say, Hey, Chris, so appreciative of the contribution you make on our team. I'm going to be leading this big kickoff for the project in two days that, of course, you're coming to. And I really want to continually be getting better at the way I conduct meetings, at the way I'm leading. I understand I'm the leader, but I also know I have a lot of area of improvement. Would you mind, in addition to participating in the meeting, would you also take notes? of things that I could be doing better as I conduct the brainstorming session or as I conduct this or that. And then I'll, and then you and I could get together maybe a day or two after the meeting so you could review those with me because I really would like to continually be improving in the way I'm, I'm leading this department. That's a way of making it safe to tell the truth. Chris then is feeling like, wow, you, you don't just want me to tell you how wonderful you are, you really want my suggestions and I feel okay if there's something that you've always been doing that's driving me crazy in the meetings where for example if we're brainstorming and you always share what your idea is first well the rest of us you're the leader the rest of us feel like we got to you know go with that idea so so one thing i've been waiting for and open to share with you this would be you um, is to say maybe Todd don't share your idea first let everybody and this is a common rule of brainstorming but it makes it safe if you're following me for for that person to tell you the truth. That was a long example, mm-hmm. but that's that's one of the examples we give in making it safe to tell the truth.
2: No, and I think that's it is a powerful thing to be able to do. And I will tell you that one actually carries some specific weight for me because when I when I first started doing this at Franklin Covey and say you, you teach class for 30 people, right? You get 30 evals, right? And mm-hmm. it's only natural to run to these evals and see what people think and and you get 28 that say it was great and two that say you stunk and then focus on the two, right? (laughs) And then over time, I found, you know, the feedback would one person would say, I wish it was longer. And one person would say, I wish it was shorter. And one person would say, great energy. And the other person would say too much energy, whatever. That can get frustrating when you're constantly asking for feedback. This book gave me the answer to that. You know, it was actually in the form of the the story that uh, Dr. Covey's son shared. And so I was wondering mm-hmm. like, what your take is on dealing with too much feedback, varying feedback, and how to actually make it stick for you.
1: Yeah, great question. Uh, one of the things that I found why people are fearful of getting feedback or, or don't go out of their way to make it safe for others to tell them the truth is, is just what you're talking about. They, they think, well, gosh, if I ask for feedback and then I get it, well, then I've got to act on all of it. No, you don't. Now, that doesn't mean you're not sincere in asking for it, but these are opinions you're asking for, and you look for trends. You look for, okay, well, of the 10 people I asked for feedback from, you know, there were varying answers on this, but but five of them in a different way said kind of the same thing here. So that's something I probably really want to focus on. doesn't mean that the other comments aren't important, but, but I can't be – at least successfully, can't be everything to everybody, nor is that my goal. My goal is just to 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 be the best that I can be in this particular role or this particular relationship I'm in. So it's a it's a it's a misnomer that that causes us to not ask for feedback because we think we've got to act on all of it. Now, someone might ask me, Well, well, gosh, if you ask me for feedback and I give it to you and then I don't see you change, <laughs> don't ask me for feedback again. <laughs> well, that's not true. Because what what we also, what I also talk about in that particular chapter is make sure people that you have deliberately asked for feedback, make sure you follow up with every one of them. And for that person whose feedback you're not going to incorporate at that time, you say, hey, Judy, thanks so much for the helpful feedback you gave me. I've been evaluating that along with some other feedback I've received. And there are some things from, from the, the masses that I'm going to incorporate now. And then some of the things, in fact, one of the things you mentioned in particular, I want to think more about. and I may or may not be doing something with that at a later at a later time, but I just wanted you to know I would welcome your ongoing feedback and that that meant a lot to me that you would take the time to do that. So you acknowledge the feedback. you let Judy know, hey, I didn't I'm not dissing it. There are some other things that I'm gonna focus on now now that I've I've had you know a, a bunch of data to, to look at and that I'll be coming to you again in the future for, for additional thoughts. That's that's a way to follow up without feeling like I gotta act on everything and still being genuine and being sincere. Mm-hmm.
2: Great point. You know, there was something I, I actually made a note of here. As you mentioned, the fifteenth practice, start with humility and great leaders having humility. Of course, without getting too far into it, I, I feel like there are moments these days in you know, in look at it in banking or in politics, where humility is actually not the trait that's getting people recognition, money, success, whatever. And I'm wondering your your take on that, right? Because I think it's easy to say, you know, well, you got to be a good person and good good people are humble. I mean, I am a firm believer in that. But sometimes it's frustrating when you look maybe up the corporate ladder, And you think, yeah, but that guy makes three times as much as me, and he is the farthest from humble. I'm Mm -hmm. wondering your thoughts on that.
1: My thought on that is, how do you define success? Mm. Um, You know, that guy or that woman is successful because they make, you know, a bunch of money. That that is one definition of success. Um, I I also a thought that just occurred to me is when you say, you know, being humble is important. It's it's how we define being humble. Being humble isn't. Just being meek or being, you know, kind or nice—it's—it's it's being willing to consider, sometimes in a hard way. So it's—it's—it doesn't look like humility, but it is. Being willing to consider the ideas of others, being willing to realize, like I said earlier, that I don't have all the answers, and that wow, while I'm the president or the CEO or the department head, um, I want to go down to the front lines and say, hey. Joe, if if you were in my shoes, what would you do differently here? You know, it's it, it'd be shocking to Joe for the president to come down and ask him mm. that. And Joe probably knows more about that specific th- does know more about that specific thing than the president does. So so humility again, this is this this um, misconception that humility is this sometimes lowly servant type. You know, just so nice and kind and never says a, a direct or hard thing. No, not at all. Humility is the ability. But going back to practice one, it's the, the ability to say, "Hey, my paradigm isn't 100% true or accurate, and I'd be wise to talk with others who have experience in this area or that area." And, and so, those those types of leaders uh, are also at the top of the uh, of the compensation chain, and they have the respect and the adoration, and the support and the engagement of the entire organization, uh, that, that they're, that they're
2: leading. I'm really glad we covered that. That, that was, that was really insightful. I'm glad that that came out. So thanks for that. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing is when I look at, and again, we've interviewed, I don't know, nearly 300 people, most of them authors and a lot of the trends we type to see or we tend to see are things like the one way to be amazing or, you mm-hmm. know, um, the shift, I think, in culture, right? We want it now. We want it fast. Did you, have you ever mm-hmm. thought about or worried? Okay, fifteen practices in a world where our attention spans are shrinking, and really, we just want quick fixes and top tips. We don't, we don't want to have to do mm-hmm. things. Have you ever worried <laughs> that if people might be scared off? And for those that might be feeling that, how would? What's your rebuttal?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, I want to, I want to correct that thinking right now. There isn't just one way to be successful. There are actually fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> this is so, the way. <laughs> yeah, this isn't. Th- thanks for asking that. I'd love to clarify that on the book. This isn't. Until you do these fifteen things, you won't have effective relationships in your life. You know, at work at, at, or at home. That that's not what this is. This is um, from my thirty years. Uh, yeah, thirty years now of of experience. I've I've observed and coached leaders and others at all levels within organizations. And, and from the hundreds, literally hundreds of principles and tools and paradigms found in Franklin Covey's world-class solutions, I've identified those practices, which I've seen time and time again, be the real catalysts to positively influencing, in some case, even changing others and therefore magnifying and, and enhancing their relationships. So, so these aren't, okay, you got to do these 15 things and then you'll have effective relationships. These are things to accelerate and enhance the great relationships you already have to continually be making them better. And some of those that aren't going so great, which I haven't met anybody who doesn't have one of those right now, look, at, look through these 15 things and I bet you'll identify at least one and maybe two or three you are saying, ah, you know what? Those are three of the areas that I bet if I focused on and, and we, this other person I focused on together, we could really improve uh, the relationship between us. So it's it's, not a, it's it's not looked at as a quick fix. These are based on timeless principles, and it's not, don't let it be overwhelming. I could do all fifteen of these. No, no. Read, read the book, buy the book, yeah. <laughs> and then read the book. And each of the, each of the chapters of the book begins with a question. Um uh, like one similar that I asked you, you know. To practice three is behavior way to credibility. And the question up front of that chapter says, have you ever tried to talk your way out of a problem that you've acted way your way into? Or are you in a situation where your credibility is in question? If if both of those questions are saying, no, that doesn't really apply to me, great. Skip over to another chapter. Um, you know, practice number four, play your roles well. The question at the beginning of that chapter says, Have you ever found that success in one area of your life comes at the expense of another area. Are you trying to juggle too many roles at once? And if you're going, yes, yes, well, you might want to dive into that chapter and see what you're telling me there is something I could start to do to feel a little more balanced in my, in my roles. Mm. And, and absolutely there is. So it's, it's again, not a, a do these 15 things. It's a read through this and see which ones at this point in your life and in your relationships might apply most to you.
2: Terrific. Todd, it has been a pleasure to to have you on. It's been a pleasure working with you. And I think that, you know, I've I've gotten an advanced copy of the book. I've had a chance to read it, to look through the practices. And it's incredible. These things, you can implement them, you can see the change. And as we discussed towards the beginning, if you do want to create different outcomes, you do have to try different things. And this is a great way to do that. So I wanted to give you a minute to to kind of uh, let people know where can they find you. Of course, we'll link to the book. It's called Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at Work. And I'm sure Amazon's a great place. But um, where would you like to guide people who are listening?
1: Well, uh, let me make sure that I get the uh, the, 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 the links right, because I'm, it'd be awful for me to misquote <laughs> this as well. So I, I would direct them to, uh, you know, on, on Twitter, it's at Todd Davis FC. Or Facebook, it's Todd Davis FC, and Todd has two Ds in it. Or um, getbetter.com, as you said.
2: Getbetter.com. I love it. Mm -hmm. Well, again, Todd, thank you so much for your time and for being on the show. It was uh, an honor to have you on.
1: Thank you, Chris. The honor was mine. Thank you so much.
0: Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Todd Davis. Todd's book, Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at Work, can be found at your local bookstore and on Amazon. And as always, if you decide to purchase through Amazon, please go through the Smart People Podcast the Amazon link located at smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. Any purchase you make through that link comes at no extra cost to you and it greatly helps out the show. If you're looking for other free and easy ways to support the show, head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review over there. If you'd ever like to get in touch with the show, you can shoot us an email at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. Be sure to head over to smartpeoplepodcast.com to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast. Check out the old episodes, sign up for the newsletter. We've got a lot of great content coming out, so we'll see you all next episode.